everyone doing? Doing all right? It's kind of uh, a bear theater, isn't it? We were doing the, I think they did the Nutcracker here for eight weeks. And then before that was that barn revival thing where they had the scaffolding. And today we're kind of empty. And um, it's kind of dark in here, too. But I kind of like it. It feels, um, it feels, I don't know, it feels modern and urban and cool and edgy. Because that's who we are. We live in Chicago, right? That's the type of people we are. Well, Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a good holiday season uh, with your friends and family members. But I also want to acknowledge that the holiday seasons are not the happy, joyous times that it could be for everybody. Uh, I think that sometimes it's just stressful and that this can also be a painful season. So I just want to name that for everyone. And so if you're one of those people where the holiday seasons, Christmas and New Year's, is just emotionally rough for you, well, let's just give thanks that the holidays are over, right? And winter is finally here. Uh, this feels like winter. Please join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks, and as we gather here this morning, we ask that the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit would be with us as you open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our minds, so that we are able to dig deep into this ancient passage. Help us to see how it's relevant for us today. We cast aside our cares and our burdens, our frustrations and our pains before you. We lift them up to you. We ask that this would be a meaningful time for all of us here. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. This morning I want to talk about weakness. And weakness for me is a trigger word. I hate the word weakness. I hate the word weak. I hate the concept of weakness. Because I don't want to be weak physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I especially don't want to be perceived by other people as a weak person. Whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether um, in any shape or form. I always want to portray the image of confidence and strength. And I don't want to give off any uh, sense that I am not fully whole and absolutely capable. And so when I was reading our scripture reading this uh, week, as I was preparing for this message, this word weakness, it popped up at me. And immediately I felt my chest kind of tighten up, and I felt a little defensive around that word. And that's how I knew this is what I want to talk about, because it's a concept that I absolutely hate. It's one of those things where, because you know that it causes you a little bit of pain and grief and, and tension, that it's something that we need to discuss. And so if you're like me and you don't like the concept of weakness and you're defensive around it, then just know that you and I were in the same boat together. This is the time of the year when, uh, like Mary said, when people start New Year's resolutions. They like to make promises or set goals, long-term, short-term goals, about how they want to improve uh, some aspect of our life. And so it can be a physical goal, like I want to stay in shape, I want to eat healthier. It can be sort of a mental, emotional goal. I want to be more positive. It can be an intellectual thing. I'm going to read one book every month. 
regardless of what those goals are, everything revolves around making sure that we improve ourselves so that we can be a better version of ourselves. So that we can say, when December of 2016 rolls around, that I have sort of uh, elevated myself from 2015 and I'm closer to being the person that I want to be. But when I look deeper into this phenomenon of New Year resolutions, I think it has to do with, or it begins with identifying and working on our weaknesses. Because nobody ever says, wow, I'm so awesome at this. Well, 2016 is the year I'm going to capitalize on my awesomeness to the nth degree. We always look at some area of our life where we think, this is an area where I struggle with. This is an area where I want to see healing and growth to happen. And that becomes the subject of our New Year's, New Year resolutions. But if you're like me, you know that changing habits is very difficult. At least it is for me. I'm not one of those people where I make up my mind to say, well, I'm going to do this, and then boom, 12 months later, I've accomplished it. I'm one of those people where I say that I want to eat better, or I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to read uh, a book a week or something like that, and then three, three days or a week or a month hat passes, and I've totally just fallen off the bandwagon. And I think the reason changing habits is so difficult is because a, changing habits is not just making a decision. It's not as easy as saying, well, I'm just going to do this, and it's going to happen. Because our habits, our, uh, our habit, our, our behavior is just one part of an entire integrated system of who we are as people. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to run two miles every morning because then you have to set the time to run that. You have to make the time of the day to accommodate for that exercise. And then in order to do that, you got to eat better and then you have to go to sleep earlier. You got to wake up earlier. Uh, you can't just introduce one agent of change into the system because it has to change the entire system holistically. And so that's why I think when we perceive one area of our life that needs improvement, it's always related to something much bigger. It's something much deeper than just that one thing. You can't say, well, my life is perfect. It's just this one thing that I need fixing. It's usually that one thing is an indicator of something that's going on much deeper beneath the surface. And I think the key to identifying that deeper, bigger thing is by understanding and holding to what our weakness is. And let's be honest, every single one of us has a weakness. In our scripture reading today, uh, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this idea that in our weakness, that the Spirit of God is working within us. And so the Greek word for weakness is asthenia. And asthenia is often translated uh, weakness as being sick, being feeble, or having some kind of like uh, inability to do something. And that's the, typically the way that we describe weakness. When somebody says, oh, that person is weak, or I have a weakness, it usually means I have low energy, I'm incapable of doing something. It definitely has a negative connotation. But what's interesting is that in our scripture reading today, the Apostle Paul, he talks about weakness, asthenia, in a different light. He defines it slightly differently. He says weakness is a want 
or longing of the body and or of the soul. Weakness is a want or a longing, whether it's physical or whether it's of the soul. It's this idea that I'm not quite where I want to be. I know that where I am is not the final destination, but that I'm in process. And so maybe it is something physical. It might be, you know, I want to eat healthier. I want to have more positive self-esteem. I want to pursue more meaning, a more meaningful career. I want to pursue a more meaningful friendship. I want to pursue more meaningful romantic partnership. I want to feel uh, emotionally healthy. I want to find mental peace. All of those longings within us is an indicator of a weakness that we have. Asthenia is something that you feel like you want, but you feel like you don't have. And I want to be clear that when we talk about weakness, it's not a sign of failure. To identify a weakness within us, a want or a longing, it's not a sign that somehow we're broken or that we're bad, like we're morally bad or that uh, we're condemned by God. When you struggle with a weakness or you identify a weakness, it's not a way of saying I'm somehow unworthy and that God has cast me aside. It's actually an indicator that we are not living up to the fullest potential that God has created us to experience. And so when you say, man, I'm just not happy with where I am, it's an indicator saying that, you know what, I'm not quite there yet. I'm a work in progress. And so it's a warning sign. It's an indicator that we have work to do. And we often think that weakness is a sign of the absence of God. But in our scripture reading today, Paul says the exact opposite. He says, in our weakness, the Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'm going to share a story with you about one of the, thing, one of the weaknesses in my life. And I have many, not just one, but the one that I think I most uh, identify with from the time that I was a kid all the way up till now is I've always had an anger problem. I have a super short fuse. It doesn't take much for me to get really riled up. And when I get angry, I physically feel my body temperature rising. I'll just start sweating, and I'll feel really tense. And then I just want to explode with words. And I've always been this way since the time I was a kid. And I own it. Even now, uh, anger is something that I really struggle with. It's one of my weaknesses. But about 14 years ago, I was in my third year of college, and I was having a conversation with this guy I knew, a friend of mine. And we were talking about something trivial, something inconsequential. I don't even remember what it was, but we were arguing, we were bickering about something. And uh, he's a bit of an ass, and I'm a bit of an ass. And so when you get two asses together, then it's a recipe for bad news. And so he's jabbing at me, and I'm jabbing back at him, and suddenly our voices are, our voices are going rising, and you know, then we're throwing out some profanities back and forth to each other, like just two mean people do. And soon, it's just a full-blown argument. We're just cursing back and forth at each other. And 
And at this point, because we're two guys and we're two macho guys, we're basically toe-to-toe -to -toe and we're ready to punch each other in the face. But this other guy, uh, this all happened in his dorm room. And while we're ready to just sort of go, blow, go blows back and forth with each other, he grabs a sword like he's going to hit me with it. A sword. It's one of those uh, decorate, like, um, what do you call those, ornamental samurai swords that people have over their mantle places. Uh, maybe you have one, maybe you don't, I don't, but this guy, he did. And he grabs this sword, and it's a real sword. It's made of metal, uh, but it's not sharp or anything like that. And he grabs it, and my eyes go wide, and I'm thinking, what, are you going to kill me with this? What, are you going to stab me? What, are you going to hit me with it? And I had this moment where it's a flight or fight kind of moment. You can either just run away, or you can either fight your way out of these moments. And because I have an anger problem, I decided the latter. I decided to engage. And so we both grab for the sword, and we're just kind of wrestling uh, back and forth, back and forth. And I somehow get better leverage than him, and I wrestle it away from him. And I'm just really mad at this point. It's one thing to yell at each other. It's another thing to like punch each other and kick each other. It's another thing for you to like introduce a weapon into the argument, right? It's just taking it one step further. And so I'm so mad at this point that I take the sword, and I don't know what to do with it, but I just bend it over my knee. And I'm really surprised that it bent. And I think it's because it's not a real samurai sword, but it's just one of those cheaply made imitations. I don't think I could have done that to a real one. Uh, it just bent it, like maybe 90 degrees, and I, I threw it into the corner of the room. And we just continued the yelling. We caused the uh, continued the ruckus. We actually never hit each other, and nobody got hurt. It never actually came to blows. And it sort of diffused itself. And I left. And a couple hours later, I was sitting in my apartment, and I get a knock on the door. I'm thinking, that's strange. It's like 9, 9.30 at night. I'm like, who is it? Ann Arbor police. Open the door. I was like, what? So I'm thinking, well, nothing happened. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was hit. Nothing, no big deal. So I opened the door. It's like, invite them in. And they're like, are you Paul Hom? Like, yeah, I am. And as I open the door, like a, you know, a police officer comes in. And then as the police officer comes in through the front door, I lived on the ground floor of an apartment. Another police officer comes in through my balcony door. And they uh, handcuff me. And then they don't actually read me my rights, but it turns out they don't have to. Um, and they throw me in the back of their police car, in their squad car. And I'm thinking this whole time, this experience is surreal. I'm thinking nothing happened. No big deal. It's all a misunderstanding. So I'm just kind of chatting it up with the police. We get to the police station. And they sit me down in this room. And they ask me a bunch of questions. And I'm answering their questions. And um, never talk to the police without a lawyer present. But I thought, oh, it's a big deal. So as I'm talking with the police officer, I'm thinking, well, can I go now? Like, no big deal, right? He says, uh, actually, no, we're going to hold you. I was like, why? And he said, because you're being charged with assault with a deadly weapon. And if you didn't know, that's a felony. And if you didn't know, a minimum sentence for a felony is two years in jail. And I'm like, what? 
I was like, let, let, let's just be clear. Um, it was his sword that he introduced into the argument. And apparently, uh, what this guy told the police after I'd left his apartment was that I tried to kill him with his sword. So it's his word versus my word. And so uh, that night, they take a mugshot. You know, you stand behind the, the height thing, and they got a mugshot of me. I try to look online to see if I can find my old mugshot. Um, thank God in 2002 that they weren't posting mugshots online. I couldn't find it. And then they fingerprint you, and then they strip search you, and then um, they give you the orange jumpsuit, like an orange is the new black. And uh, let me give you a piece of advice. If you ever plan on getting arrested, wear white underwear. And sorry if this is TMI, but I was not wearing white underwear. And if you're not wearing white underwear, they take it away from you. So under the orange jumpsuit, I was going commando. I don't know why. The, the guy said, he's like, yeah. He's like, if your underwear is white, you can keep it. If not, then I got to take it. And so that night, I spent the evening um, in my little jail cell, county jail cell, just bawling, just crying. Uh, I didn't want to be in there. I didn't want to be in there for two years. I didn't want to be there for 90 days. I didn't want to be there for two weeks. I didn't want to be there for another hour. And it just absolutely sucked. Um, I eventually made bail. And my parents, they flew in from New York to come make sure that everything was OK. And a couple of days after it happened, uh, I was sitting down with my dad, and we were having a heart-to-heart. -heart. My dad is a retired pastor. He's the sweetest, most gentle man ever. Uh, he's never raised his voice with me. Uh, but he said uh, the words that he said I'll never forget. He said, Paul, the reason why you were in this predicament, this legal situation, um, well, he said, it's your fault. And I was looking for some words of comfort, like, Paul, it's going to be OK. I love you. We're going to fight this. Uh, no, he said, Paul, th this whole situation is your fault. And I immediately got angry. And he said, the reason you're in this fault, uh, you're in this situation, is because you could have just walked away. Uh, as soon as you and this guy started just arguing, you could have gotten up, and you could have walked out, and, and that would have been the end. But you chose to engage, and you chose to escalate it again and again and again. And my dad pointed out that he'd been trying to have conversations with me for years about you know, anger and temper issues, and I always just kind of blew him off. And he said, now, now you've, really, you know, you've really hit rock bottom. He says, you're, you're here because um, you, know, you, you just couldn't let it go. And he said, um, but he said he did have, there was a positive note to what he said. He said, Paul, I believe that uh, this challenge, this difficult time that you're going through in your life, that it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity to make you a stronger, better human being. And a couple days later, uh, after my parents went back to New York, I got a package in the mail from my dad. And it was a book on anger management. I got so angry when I saw that book. <laughs> I just threw it away. Um, case in point, right? But I was angry at this point because I knew that my dad was absolutely right. 
I could have walked away, but I didn't. I chose to engage. And it took me the better part of a decade, like close to 10 years for me to finally just forgive that other guy from you know, coming up with all these bogus trumped up charges um, for putting me through that whole ordeal. It took me definitely over 10 years uh, and with some therapy, with some pastoral care and counseling, with some reading, with prayer and meditation, and with just a lot of help from good people in my life, for me to realize that I always thought anger and temper was my weakness, but it was really a symptom of something much deeper going on. I always thought, yeah, I got a temper problem, but I'm a good guy, no big deal. Um, but it was that one thing, and it was actually an indicator of something going on deep within me. And I realized that my anger was a, a symptom of my real weakness. And that had to do with my longing, my want, my desire for agency in my life. I realized that I, it was for my longing to be heard. It came from my longing to be understood. Um, and really, it came from my longing to be valued. And when I felt like I wasn't heard, when I wasn't valued, when, um, when I didn't have control over my life and situations, that's when the temper, that's when the anger, it would really flare up. For other people, it would manifest itself in different ways, but for me, it was anger. And I realized that anger wasn't so much the problem, but it was those deeper underlying issues. But it was only when I wrestled with what I believed was my weakness that I was able to uncover those deeper issues deep inside. And I wanna, I'll be frank with you. Um, I'm not whole, I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not like this saint, saintly person filled with grace. Um, my temper can flare up even now too, but, but I've been able to identify what that weakness is and begin that long, lifelong process of healing and restoration. But I don't think I would have been able to begin that process had I tried to ignore my weaknesses, had I tried to brush it off and say, ah, it's not my problem. If all those people would quit pissing me off, then I wouldn't have this anger problem. Um, that's the easy way out. And so as we begin 2016, um, I don't want to ask you what is your New Year's resolution, although I believe New Year's resolutions are fantastic. I want to ask you a question. What is your weakness? What is your longing? It might be something physical. It might be something within your soul. It might be relational. It might be mental. It might be emotional. But what is your longing? And let's be honest. That is not a question that we can answer uh, in the next 30 seconds. It's not a question that we can answer in the next hour. Um, it's a really difficult question. It's a question that you might not even be able to answer yourself. If you're like me, it's a question that you'll only be able to answer as you dialogue with close people around you. Maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's your small group, maybe it's a trusted friend or advisor or mentor. But I truly, truly, truly believe that if we embrace what that weakness is within us, and all of us have it, then we're able to 
dig in a little bit deeper and to understand what that longing within our heart and our soul is. And I'll be honest with you, 2015 might not have been a great year, and 2016 might not look like it's going to be a game-breaker either. But each and every step that we make is steps towards progress, to becoming a more whole and balanced, healthy person, the person that God intended for you and I to be. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we come before you today. Uh, We're a mixed bag. Some of us are coming off the highs of a fantastic holiday season. And some of us, we're really struggling this morning. We have issues. We have addictions. We have hurts and pains, frustrations and disappointments. We have struggles. We have weaknesses, God. God, even though it feels like in our weakness you are absent, would you remind us again that in our weakness you are present? That in the midst of our sense of loneliness and despair, you are actively at work, interceding for us, working for us, working with us, poking us, prodding us, encouraging us. God, we trust that your spirit is working within our weakness. We ask that you would help us to identify the deepest longing of our souls, our hearts, desires, so that we can live up to the potential that you have set for us, so that we can be the best versions of ourselves. Help us to do the difficult work this year, but we know that we are doing it in partnership with you. And so we give you thanks with great hope and expectation for this upcoming calendar year. And we pray all of these things with the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.